Part 1, Chapter 15 of 800 Leagues on the Amazon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joseph Burby. 800 Leagues on the Amazon by Jules Verne. Part 1, Chapter 15. The Continued Descent. On the evening of the 5th of July, the atmosphere had been oppressive since the morning, and threatened approaching storms. Large bats of ruddy color skimmed with their huge wings the current of the Amazon. Among them could be distinguished the Peros Voladors, somber brown above and light-colored beneath, for which Minha, and particularly the young mulatto, felt an instinctive aversion. These were, in fact, the horrible vampires which sucked the blood of the cattle, and even attack man if he is imprudent enough to sleep out in the fields. "'Oh, the dreadful creatures!' cried Lena, hiding her eyes. "'They fill me with horror!' "'And they are really formidable,' added Minha. "'Are they not, Manuel?' "'To be sure.' "'Very formidable,' answered he. "'These vampires have a particular instinct which leads them to bleed you in the places where the blood most easily comes, and principally behind the ear. During the operation they continue to move their wings, and cause an agreeable freshness which renders the sleep of the sleeper more profound. They tell of people unconsciously submitted to this hemorrhage for many hours, who have never awoke.' "'Talk no more of things like that, Manuel,' said Yaquita, "'or neither Minha or Lina will dare to sleep to-night.' "'Never fear,' replied Manuel. "'If necessary, we will watch over them as they sleep.' "'Silence,' said Benito. "'What is the matter?' asked Manuel. "'Do you not hear the very curious noise on that side?' "'continued Benito, pointing to the right bank. "'Certainly,' answered Yaquita. "'What causes the noise?' asked Minha. "'One would think it was shingle rolling on the beach of the islands.' "'Good. I know what it is,' answered Benito. "'Tomorrow, at daybreak, there will be a rare treat for those who like fresh turtle-eggs and little turtles.' He was not deceived. The noise was produced by innumerable Chelonians of all sizes who were attracted to the island to lay their eggs. "'It is in the sand of the beach that these amphibians choose the most convenient places to deposit their eggs. The operation commences with sunset and finishes with the dawn.' At this moment the chief turtle had left the bed of the river to reconnoitre for a favourable spot. The others, collected in thousands, were soon occupied in digging with their hind paddles a trench six hundred feet long, a dozen wide, and six deep. After laying their eggs they cover them with a bed of sand, which they beat down with their carapaces, as if they were rammers. This egg-laying operation is a grand affair for the riverine Indians of the Amazon and its tributaries. They watch for the arrival of the Chelonians, and proceed to the extraction of the eggs to the sound of the drum, and the harvest is divided into three parts, one to the watchers, another to the Indians, a third to the state, represented by the captains of the shore, who, in their capacity of police, have to superintend the collection of the dues. To certain beaches which the decrease of the waters has left uncovered, and which have the privilege of attracting the greater number of turtles, there has been given the name of Royal Beaches. When the harvest is gathered, it is a holiday for the Indians, who give themselves up to games, dancing, and drinking. It is also a holiday for the alligators of the river, who hold high revelry on the remains of the amphibians. Turtles or turtle eggs are an object of very considerable trade throughout the Amazonian basin. It is these Chelonians whom they turn, that is to say, put on their backs, when they come from laying their eggs, 
and whom they preserve alive, keeping them in palisaded pools like fish pools, or attaching them to a stake by a cord just long enough to allow them to go and come on the land or under the water. In this way they always have the meat of these animals fresh. They proceed differently with the little turtles which are just hatched. There is no need to pack them or tie them up. Their shell is still soft, their flesh extremely tender, and after they have cooked them they eat them just like oysters. In this form large quantities are consumed. However, this is not the most general use to which the Chilonian eggs are put in the provinces of the Amazons and Para. The manufacture of Mantegna di Tartaruga, or turtle butter, which will bear comparison to the best products of Normandy or Brittany, does not take less every year than from two hundred and fifty to three hundred millions of eggs. But the turtles are innumerable all along the river, and they deposit their eggs on the sands of the beach in incalculable quantities. However, on account of the destruction caused not only by the natives but by the waterfowl, from the side, the urubus in the air, and the alligators in the river, their number has been so diminished that for every little turtle a Brazilian patac, or about a franc, has to be paid. On the morrow, at daybreak, Benito, Fragoso, and a few Indians took a pirogue, and landed on the beach of one of the large islands which they had passed during the night. It was not necessary for the Yangada to halt. They knew they could catch her up. On the shore they saw the little hillocks which indicated the places where, that very night, each packet of eggs had been deposited in the trench in groups of from one hundred and sixty to one hundred and ninety. These there was no wish to get out, but an earlier laying had taken place two months before. The eggs had hatched under the action of the heat stored in the sand, and already several thousands of little turtles were running about the beach. The hunters were therefore in luck. The pirogue was filled with these interesting amphibians, and they arrived just in time for breakfast. The booty was divided between the passengers and crew of the Yangada, and if any lasted till the evening it did not last any longer. In the morning of the 7th of July they were before San José de Matura, a town situated near a small river filled up with long grass, and on the borders of which a legend says that Indians with tails once existed. In the morning of the 8th of July they caught sight of the village of San Antonio, two or three little houses lost in the trees at the mouth of the Isa, or Putumayo, which is about 900 meters wide. The Putumayo is one of the most important affluents of the Amazon. Here in the sixteenth century missions were founded by the Spaniards, which were afterwards destroyed by the Portuguese, and not a trace of them now remains. Representatives of different tribes of Indians are found in the neighborhood, which are easily recognizable by the differences in their tattoo marks. The Isa is a body of water coming from the east of the Pasto Mountains to the northeast of Quito, through the finest forests of wild cacao trees navigable for a distance of a hundred and forty leagues for steamers of not greater draft than six feet it may one day become one of the chief waterways in the west of america the bad weather was at last met with it did not show itself in continual rains but in frequent storms these could not hinder the progress of the raft which offered little resistance to the wind its great length rendered it almost insensible to the swell of the amazon but during the torrential showers the Garal family had to keep indoors. They had to occupy profitably these hours of leisure. They chatted together, communicated their observations, and their tongues were seldom idle. It was under these circumstances that little by little Torres had begun to take a more active part in the conversation. 
The details of his many voyages throughout the whole north of Brazil afforded him numerous subjects to talk about. The man had certainly seen a great deal, but his observations were those of a skeptic, and he often shocked the straightforward people who were listening to him. It should be said that he showed himself much impressed toward Minha, but these attentions, although they were displeasing to Manuel, were not sufficiently marked for him to interfere. On the other hand, Minha felt for him an instinctive repulsion, which he was at no pains to conceal. On the 5th of July, the mouth of the Tunantins appeared on the left bank, forming an estuary of some four hundred feet across, in which it pours its blackish waters. Coming from the west-northwest, after having watered the territories of the Casina Indians, at this spot the Amazon appears under a truly grandiose aspect, but its course is more than ever encumbered with islands and islets. It, it required all the address of the pilot to steer through the archipelago, going from one bank to another, avoiding the shallows, shirking the eddies, and maintaining the advance. They might have taken the Ahuati Parana, a sort of natural canal which goes off a little below the mouth of the Tunantins, and re-enters the principal stream a hundred and twenty miles further on by the Rio Hapura, but if the larger portion of this measures a hundred and fifty feet across, the narrowest is only sixty feet, and the raft would there have met with a difficulty. On the 13th of July, after having touched at the island of Capuro, passed the mouth of the Hutahi, which, coming from the east-southeast, brings in its black waters by a mouth five hundred feet wide, and admired the legions of monkeys, sulphur-white in color, with cinnabar red faces, who are insatiable lovers of the nuts produced by the palm-trees from which the river derives its name, the travellers arrived on the 18th of July before the little village of Fanteboa. At this place the Yangara halted for twelve hours so as to give a rest to the crew. Fanteboa, like most of the mission villages in the Amazon, has not escaped the capricious fate which, during a lengthened period, moves them about from one place to the other. Probably the hamlet has now finished with its nomadic existence, and has definitely become stationary. So much the better, for it is a charming place, with its thirty houses covered with foliage, and its church dedicated to Notre Dame de Guadalupe, the Black Virgin of Mexico. Fonteboa has one thousand inhabitants, drawn from the Indians on both banks, who rear numerous cattle in the fields in the neighborhood. These occupations do not end here, for they are intrepid hunters, or, if they prefer it, intrepid fishers for the manatee. On the morning of their arrival the young fellows assisted at a very interesting expedition of this nature. Two of these herbivorous cetaceans had just been signaled in the black waters of the Kayaratu, which comes in at Fontaboa. Six brown points were seen moving along the surface, and these were the two-pointed snouts and four pinions of the Lamantines. Inexperienced fishermen would at first have taken these moving points for floating wreckage, but the natives of Fontaboa were not to be so deceived. Besides, very soon loud blowings indicated that the spouting animals were vigorously ejecting the air which had become useless for their breathing purposes. Two ubas, each carrying three fishermen, set off from the bank and approached the manatees, who soon took flight. The black points at first traced a long furrow on top of the water, and then disappeared for a time. 
The fishermen continued their cautious advance, one of them, armed with a very primitive harpoon, a long nail at the end of a stick, kept himself in the bow of the boat, while the other two noiselessly paddled on. They waited till the necessity of breathing would bring the manatees up again. In ten minutes or thereabouts the animals would certainly appear in a circle more or less confined. In fact, this time had scarcely elapsed before the black points emerged at a little distance, and two jets of air mingled with vapor were noiselessly shot forth. The ubas approached. The harpoons were thrown at the same instant. One missed its mark, but the other struck one of the cetaceans near his tail. It was only necessary to stun the animal, who rarely defends himself when touched by the iron of the harpoon. In a few pulls the cord brought him alongside the uba, and he was towed to the beach at the foot of the village. It was not a manatee of any size, for it only measured about three feet long. These poor cetaceans have been so hunted that they have become very rare in the Amazon and its affluence, and so little time is left them to grow that the giants of the species do not now exceed seven feet. What are these, after manatees twelve and fifteen feet long, which still abound in the rivers and lakes of Africa? but it would be difficult to hinder their destruction the flesh of the manatee is excellent superior even to that of pork and the oil furnished by its lard which is three inches thick is a product of great value when the meat is smoked dried it keeps for a long time and is capital food if to this is added that the animal is easily caught it is not to be wondered at that the species is on its way to complete destruction on the 19th of July, at sunrise, the Angada left Fontaboa, and entered between the two completely deserted banks of the river, and breasted some islands shaded with the grand forests of cacao trees. The sky was heavily charged with electric cumuli, warning them of renewed storms. The Rio Hurura, coming from the southwest, soon joins the river on the left. A vessel can go up it into Peru without encountering insurmountable obstacles among its white waters which are fed by a great number of petty affluents. "'It is perhaps in these parts,' said Manuel, "'that we ought to look for those female warriors "'who so much astonished Orellana. "'But we ought to say that, like their predecessors, "'they do not form separate tribes. "'They are simply the wives who accompany their husbands to the fight, "'and who, among the Huruas, have a great reputation for bravery.' "'The Angara continued to descend, "'but what a labyrinth the Amazon now appeared!' The Rio Hapura, whose mouth was forty-eight miles on ahead, and which is one of its largest tributaries, runs almost parallel with the river. Between them were canals, ihuarapes, lagoons, temporary lakes, an inextricable network which renders the hydrography of this country so difficult. But if Araujo had no map to guide him, his experience served him more surely and it was wonderful to see him unraveling the chaos, without ever turning aside from the main river. In fact, he did so well that on the 25th of July, in the afternoon, after having passed before the village of Parani Tapera, the raft was anchored at the entrance of the Lake of Ego, or Tefe, which it was useless to enter, for they would not have been able to get out of it again into the Amazon. But the town of Iga is of some importance. It was worthy of a halt to visit it. It was arranged, therefore, that the Yangada should remain on this spot till the 27th of July, and that on the morrow the large pirogue should take the whole family to Iga. This would give a rest, which was deservedly due to the hard-working crew of the raft. The night passed at the moorings near a slightly rising shore, and nothing disturbed the quiet. 
A little sheet lightning was observable on the horizon, but it came from a distant storm which did not reach the entrance to the lake. End of Part 1, Chapter 15